My name is Grant, and I am sitting in the shadows on purpose because this is what a lot of us do. I have some confessions to make as we get started today. Uh, confession number one, I'm still on steroids. Your cell phone goes off, you're on your own. I love ultimate fighting. I like watching it. I like watching two guys beat each other up, but I would never ever have the nerve to get inside of that ring myself. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and yet the only C.S. Lewis book that I've ever read from cover to cover is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was a virgin when I got married. Some of you jumped to a different conclusion last week when I said that I cheated on my wife and connected with an old girlfriend, and that really is your issue way more than it's mine, and maybe you need to confess that to Jesus this morning. My drink of choice is a soy hazelnut latte. For some of you, that means that I've just lost a whole bunch of man points because that's kind of a girly drink. And you have a real hard time with the fact that I like drinking milk from a bean. That's your problem. I have borderline OCD, which means I can't walk across a dark carpet and not see a piece of white lint. I can spot one of those at 50 meters, walk over, and I have to pick it up. It just has to be cleaned up. I love Jesus and have most of my adult life, but the truth is I struggle with his followers a lot. In fact, the struggle that I have with one of his followers is normally me. I don't like traffic. I can't stand mice. And I have a deep distaste for rude people. Welcome to Confessions, the joy and the pain of coming clean. There were all different kinds of responses to the things that I just shared. Some of you said, wow, I never knew that. Some of you said, I did not need to know that. Some of you were, I knew it. You always looked like a soy guy to me. I knew that. I just knew it. You know, the truth is none of us are comfortable with confessions. We don't like it when somebody else confesses to us. We are most certainly not very comfortable with confessing something to, to somebody else. So we spend most of our time kind of hidden back here in the shadows because it's a whole lot easier to be able to deal with our stuff. Last week, we began a series called Confessions. We started with the basics. We, did, we, we opened up the door to why it is God asks us to confess to Him. Next week, I'm going to talk about a plan for biblical forgiveness because the outcome of every act of confession is forgiveness, to be set free, to be cleansed. This week, we're going to look at the heart of confession. We're literally going to do an autopsy on confession. I'm going to show you what it is that it looks like. But I want to put a disclaimer on this. Before you just go on a confession binge and get a whole bunch of people together and just tell them all the wrong things that you've done, you may want to wait till the end of this series so we have an opportunity to give them a framework. What I'm encouraging you is if you robbed a bank when you're 22, you may not want to confess that to your wife on the drive home today. Hey, sweetie something I got to tell you. She may not be in a place right now where she can be able to receive that until we walk all the way through the process. So, so let's just slow down just a little bit as we go through this together. Last week, we unpacked some, some truths about confession. I want to unpack the biblical part of that so that you understand that I'm not just talking off of the top of my head today but that there's actually a biblical framework. Last week, we talked about the heart of confession. The first part of confession is the first part in your outline. Thank you so much, Ingelisa. The heart of confession starts with an acknowledgement of the wrong that was done. We learned that last week. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, King David just got caught with his proverbial Near Eastern ancient pants down, literally. 
The king decided to spy on a lady from his balcony. Yes, that makes the king of Israel a peeping Tom. He lusts after her, arranges to have her husband killed, commits adultery with her, and then God exposes him. He sends a prophet to him. Nathan walks in and he says, you're the man, David. You sinned. You failed. You need to call this what it is. And David is devastated and we find his confession, his acknowledgement in Psalm 51. Scripture says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judged. Surely I was sinful at birth. Surely from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. One of the key factors to confession is actually admitting that you violated one of God's commands, that you're acknowledging that's what you did. I hear this over and over and over again as a pastor, a statement that goes like this, and sometimes it's me saying it. The statement is, I don't see anything wrong with that. I have a question that needs to come first. Does God see anything wrong with that? It's not about what you see is right or wrong. God has been unbelievably clear about what his expectations are. And when we have to manufacture an excuse for sin and paint ourselves as the grand exception to God's holiness, we've got everything in the wrong order. When we hear somebody, when we hear hear ourselves saying, well, that's their interpretation of what God says is right and what is wrong. We need to just put a big time out sign and slow down. We need to be very careful. I've sat with people who've actually pulled out a Bible in order to be able to justify their sin. It's usually a great big guy with a crying wife and he sits there and he goes, Pastor, it says right here in Ephesians, she's supposed to submit. It's like, really? Actually, what that verse means is you're supposed to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And the last time I checked, Jesus died for the church, which means how dare you use the Bible to excuse your jerkdom. And because you just did that inside of my office, excuse me while I back up my chair because I don't want to be too close to you when the sky parts and lightning hits you right between the eyes. I don't want to get singed or burned. You just use God's word to justify your lousy actions. Shame on you. And they go, ooh, that's not very nice. I'm on steroids, deal with it, all right? We need to know that God will never justify our sin no matter how hard we work to make ourselves an exception. Just so we're clear, the Bible is God's law. God's laws are there for our protection, for our perseverance. It is there that we hold on to. It is our final authority at Christ the King. We don't lean against God's law. We obey God's law, period. That's the way it works. The application on number one is I cannot confess what I refuse to acknowledge. Here's the second one we learned last week. It's a pronouncement of personal ownership. Listen to King David again. Same guy, different sin. Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Selah, in your scripture, there's a little tiny word in there, selah. It literally means just stop and pause. Just think about that for a second. 
Then it goes on, then I acknowledged my sin to you, did not cover up my iniquity. I said that I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Don't be afraid of that little word. It's a great little word. It just means just think about it for a second. Until I can say my sin out loud and call it what it is, get an agreement with God over what it is, I don't think I really see it as sin. Until I can pinpoint the moment and the heart behind it, I just don't really get it. Until I can say, God, I lied, I stole, I abused, I slandered, I gossiped, I overreacted. Until I can say it, it's not real to me. And if it's not real to me, anything that I say in that type of confession is just wasted words. Here's the application there. It's I cannot own what I cannot speak. So you can say it out of your mouth. It's not real. Number three was, this was the one that everybody squirmed on. Confession also includes a willingness to go public. I found a great example of this in scripture. This little story illustrates the entire journey of confession. Luke chapter 19, the Bible says this. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and a man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Can we stop there for a second? I love the fact that my Savior likes sinners. Because that means we all fit. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Here's the road to confession. All right. The road to confession begins with a connection. Jesus and Zacchaeus make a connection. I don't know how to put it politically correct. The Bible just says he's short, vertically challenged, under tall, whatever it is that you want to call him. And this little guy actually believes that in that moment, he just happened to be there. I want us to understand that's not the way it works in God's providence. God's providence put the little man inside of the tree. And I want us to know this. Did you know that the same providence that put Zacchaeus in the tree put you in your seat this morning? Same God. Same providence, same power. It starts with a connection and then it moves to a moment of conviction. Now we're not exactly sure how this moment of conviction came about. It doesn't actually tell us in the text. But there's an amazing little statement that happens in verse five. And I don't want to over-spiritualize something in the text because you can get into real trouble when you do that. But I think it's important to note. Jesus tells Zacchaeus to come down. You need to come down because we've got business to walk through together. This is the beginning of a humbling process. And I will say this, many of us never ever get to the point of confession because we refuse to come down. We stay up in the tree of self-righteousness and judge people. We stay up in the tree of, of, of self-justification saying we're just in a little bit of a different category. We've arrived. We stay up in the tree of pride because we don't need to deal with sin the way everybody else needs to. If confession is not a part of your regular spiritual walk, here's the deal. You're up the tree and you won't come down. You never come down. 
Where did Zacchaeus start getting it right? When he scrambled down out of the tree of pride and said, I think we need to talk. It's a moment of conviction. And then comes a a moment, it's a confession of wrong. I mean, how do we know something wrong has happened? I mean, you see it because of the response of the people. I mean, they're freaking out. This guy's got a bad reputation. He's a tax collector. He's a con man. He's made a living out of ripping people off. And the verse tells us something happens in the dynamic between Jesus and Zacchaeus. He stands up and he confesses with words and then with actions. Boy, is that a key. Confession with your mouth, that's the easy part. Confession with your actions, that's a totally different deal. He stands up. He says, God, I'm giving back half of everything I have to people who need it. And if I ripped anybody off, I'm willing to pay them back fourfold in order to make this right. And that crosses into a moment here of compensation. This is what shows us the confession is real. You see, a real confession brings about so much more than just a reconciliation between two people. When compensation comes into it, then there's actually the dream that the whole thing can be restored and put back together. I got to see this happen in the last couple of months. Very brave young man came to my office, sat shaking and crying in the chair across from me, and he told me a story. He said, Grant, years ago when I was still using, I came to this church And I stole purses and took money in order to be able to finance my habit. And then Jesus got him. He said, I don't want to carry this anymore. I've asked God for forgiveness, but I need to make this right. So we put together the timelines and I said, just leave this with me. I put on my Sherlock Holmes hat and I tracked down two ladies who had their purses stolen here some years ago. And a couple of weeks ago in my office, this young man sat there and he said, I am sorry that I stole. I was wrong. I need you to forgive me. I don't want to carry this anymore. He said in that moment, I will do whatever it takes to make this right with you. If you can tell me what was in your purse, I'll do everything I can to give back to you everything that I stole. If you want me to, I will go right now, turn myself into the police. I just know I've got God's forgiveness and I need yours too. You know what happened in that moment in my office? These two ladies stood over him and prayed. He said, we forgive you. You're forgiven. This is covered. Don't even think about this again. Don't carry it again. We forgive you. You are set free. He was willing to go to whatever length it took to make it right. We've got another dad here, CTK. He abandoned his children when they were five and six years old. Walked out. Did the unthinkable as a father. He's not allowed to have contact with them. But he's doing everything he can to make it right. And for him, making it right means every single day he leaves work twice a day. Goes and stands on a street corner, rain or shine, to wave at his children's school bus as they go by. He just wants them to know Your daddy messed up, but he's here. I'm right here doing everything he can to compensate for the hurt that he caused. That's when we know confession's getting real. 
Halfway through the story, there's a confession of wrong. It ends with a confession of right. It's a positive confession. At the end of the story, Jesus stands with the confessor and he confesses. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. And then you see it. Zacchaeus is a changed man. He's a saved man. We need to know the goal of his confession was not just to stop him from ripping people off. The goal was for everyone to see that God loves people who rip people off and that he wants to change their heart. And after their heart is changed, then their actions will begin to follow. I put this in your outline because we get it backwards all the time. The goal of confession is not a change in behavior. It's a complete change of heart. I encounter this all the time when I work with guys who are struggling with pornography. They get caught, they're embarrassed, they're shamed, and the first thing they try and do is change the behavior. They throw the computer in the trash, they buy a set of blinders, they purchase accountability software, they come to their wife and they confess and they promise, I'm never, never, ever, ever, ever going to do that again. And all of that is fine and good, but it's not the goal. be, be, Be very careful as I say this statement. The goal is not not watching pornography. That's not the goal. The goal is loving Jesus, who is a God of purity, who when we open ourselves up to his purity, pours that into us to a point where we love God so much that all of that garbage over to the side is exposed for what it really is. It's a fraud. It's not real. It's not the real love and intimacy that God desires for us. And when we get to see that, we get to make a divine exchange, the garbage for God. And after the heart is right, then the actions begin to follow. So we're not done yet. Actually, that was just review from last week. It's my introduction. Are you scared? This whole thing is not my fault. I thought this series was going this way. Jesus hijacked it. We're going that way. So we're just going to follow along. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God asks us to go one more step. This is where God asks us to join him in the light. This is where God asks us to risk exposure so that he can cover our sin. This is where God asks us to confront the enemy of our soul with both truth and light. This is where God asks us to summon our courage and speak it out loud to another human being. Why does God ask us to go public? Why, why? Why? I mean, can't we just have it between him and us? That's just so much more tidy, right? It's just so much easier. Let me give you three reasons why God wants us to go public with it. Number one is this. It releases the grip of hidden sin. Do you remember the scripture from last week? You're only, or sorry, the little line that we used last week. You're only as sick as your secrets. Only as sick as your secrets. When my confession exposes a secret in that moment, I can get grace from God because I've stepped out of the shadows like I was in before, out here into the light. Is this a scary place to be? You have no idea. But he's here. And it releases that grip. It it breaks that bond. It's not a secret anymore. I've actually got it out in the light so that God can cover it. Secondly, it revokes the isolation. I mean, one of the enemy's oldest tricks is to get you alone with your secret so that he can say things to you like nobody else has ever done anything quite that bad. I mean, you are a sinner in a category all by yourself. I mean, you're alone. 
Nobody can help you. Nobody's going to be able to handle that kind of stuff. When we drag our sin into the light, when we revoke the isolation, what we're saying is this, I am not alone. You lying snake. I am not alone. Jesus is with me. Jesus is both light and with truth. I'm with Jesus and Jesus is with me and he will sustain me through the joy and the pain of coming clean. Thirdly, God asks us to bring it out in the open because it restores humility. When we actually share with a trusted and godly friend about our sins and our struggles, in that moment we come down out of our hiding place. We step out of the tree and then God can deal with us honestly. You know, I said before, I don't want to turn this into a confession binge at Christ the King. We're not ready to do that yet. But I'm hoping there will come a moment when you can choose a mature and godly person with which to take your confession to God one step further. I want to encourage you to choose a person who's mature and godly and who knows their Bible. Somebody who can say, this is God's clear law and hold us to that standard. Let me tell you how this works in my life. So this past week, I was just having one of those insecure weeks. A week when I was questioning everything that seemed to be in front of me. Where did I fit? How does this work? God, what's my role? What do you want me to do? I was just having a crazy insecure week. And on Tuesday morning, we were having an elders meeting, a group of guys who loves this church and loves me enough to tell the truth. And God said, Grant, you need to confess that to them. So I did. I, I thought that they were going to think I was a complete idiot. I said, guys, I just need to confess something to you. I'm having an insecure week. And I need some help. And they stopped. They said, we're going to pray. One of the prayers was, God, may Grant find his security not in himself or in the words of others, but in his identity in you. What a gift. What a gift. I want to make sure we understand something. Another person can hear our confession, but only Jesus, only Jesus can forgive and absolve sin. No other human being can do that. Let me tell you about a moment when I experienced this. Five and a half years ago, we're a recovery church. All of a sudden, I'm the pastor. I figure I should probably go through recovery stuff so I got some credibility. So I go through 12 steps. My sponsor's name is John. He rips the guts out of my life. I mean, I think I'm a fairly functional human being. All of a sudden, I realize I have issues like everywhere, everywhere. Step five is when you go to another human being and confess the exact nature of your wrongs. You've done it with God, now you're going to do it with another person. I'm sitting across from John. I'm thinking to myself, when we are done this conversation, I will not have a job. So I just let it all out. I remember what John did. He reached across, and if you know John, you can picture this his old weathered hands, and he grabbed me by the hands and he looked me in the eye. And he said, Jesus forgives you. Jesus forgives you. And I looked away for a second. He said, look at me, Grant. Jesus forgives you. You're clean. Receive it. 
cause just a mess here. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So we're going to do something different this morning. I'm going to ask Mark to come and join me at the piano. I've been watching this happen all weekend long, and it's just been beautiful. The bottom of your little... uh, Outline there is a little tiny piece of paper. It's designed so that you can tear it off. It says, God, I confess to you. And then there's a little place. I think it's time that maybe we stopped preaching confession. Started practicing confession. There's a scary little line and the choir's coming to join me. Just You can just ignore them. The second line says, I covenant before you to share this confession with blank. Maybe it's somebody you trust. Maybe it's somebody that you hurt really, really bad. And then there's a place for a signature. Because if you can't name it, you can't own it. choir is going to come and sing in a couple minutes and I'd like you to use that time to confess something before God let's make this really personal and after they're done singing I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about a moment I don't know if you've noticed or not but there's a couple of crosses up here at the front each of the crosses has a hole in the top And we're going to have a moment when we're going to be able to bring our confession that's burned on our hearts. We're going to get to leave it here. Some of you are freaking out because you go, if I sign that thing and somebody sees it, I don't know what might happen. I'm going to put a couple of really tough pastors up here by these crosses. After every service, we've taken all of the confessions And I'm going to give them to a very trusted person who has promised me that he will not look at one word. And he's going to make sure that they're burned so they can go because Jesus knows what's on these papers. This is a moment between you and God and whether you take it or not is really up to you. Some of you haven't got paper because you're sharing with somebody else. There's tables up here that will be available afterwards with these little pieces on them. And you may have to wait. But let's have a quiet moment. No cell phones, no babies, no confessing anyone else's sin but our own. Choir, would you sing for us?